Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss, doing something a little bit different today. Instead of the usual pop culture panel, and we debate what color Beyonce's hair should be or what Justin Bieber's up to these days, uh, I have a very special guest. Ingrid Benninger is here. Now, you've heard her on this show before. In the last few years, Ingrid has stopped by to talk about whatever film it is that you're promoting that week and uh, lots of other stuff. Um, you are a film director. The new film, Porcupine Lake, is in theaters in Toronto right now. Check your local listings in whatever city you are, Vancouver, Saskatoon. There's a number of other places that it's playing. Uh, and if you're in Toronto this weekend, though, on Sunday night, you can go see a Q&A with the cast of Porcupine Lake and Ingrid. Uh, and it's a fascinating story that we're going to tell you about in just a little bit. First of all, I want to uh, introduce you to Ingrid and let you get to know her a little bit. Uh, nice to have you here. Thanks for coming in. A pleasure. So the Globe and Mail called you the DIY, the do-it-yourself queen of Canadian filmmaking. Is that a, a mantle that you wear comfortably? Yeah, I actually love the DIY approach, not only in filmmaking, but in life. Handmade clothes, farmer's markets, direct source, everything. So I actually love that. I can't believe how long it's stuck, though. I think it's been about <laughs> 10 years that I have, uh, you know, maintained the DIY crown. It might be time to hand it over. I don't know. I'm going to school now. I'm doing my master's at York University. I don't know who I will be on the other side, but who knows? I might become a big commercial blockbuster <laughs> filmmaker. So uh, we'll see. Porcupine Lake, the superhero version, or something exactly. like that, that might work. Exactly. So when they say do-it-yourself queen of Canadian filmmaking, though, these are, are films that you make for small amounts of money, but you kind of do everything. The thing that blows my mind about uh, your productions is that you typically write them or, or have at least have a hand in writing them. You direct them. You produce them. And then once you step away from all that, you take all those various hats off, the movies come out and you are at the theaters, you are working these things. It's not like a one and done kind of deal with you. Is that what they mean by do it yourself, that you are literally doing it all yourself? Yeah, I would say with the first feature, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, Porcupine Lake is my sixth feature as a writer, writer, director, producer. And most of them have been done with a crew of two people, one camera person, one sound recordist. Porcupine Lake, we had a crew of five. For the first time, I had a production manager who was a <laughs> former York University student of mine. My husband, John Switzer, did the craft, who shared duties with my mom and dad. My daughter was the costume designer. She's also in the film. I had the cinematographer, Ben Lichty, sound recordist, and one sort of all-rounder. So everyone is doing a million jobs. Typically, I'm writing, doing props, doing locations, building the schedule, doing the budget, getting all the financing, casting. This time, I did work with an incredible casting director, Michael Yerksa. But, you know, I'm on the front lines of of all of it. And it's a practical thing. My budgets are really small. My first feature was $5,000. I've kind of gone up and down from there. Typically, I put my own credit card on the table. You know, they say don't make a film with animals, yeah. babies, or <laughs> spend your own money. I've always done all three. So it's kind of what, by whatever means necessary. I just don't want to wait five years to yeah. make my film. I want to be making films every 18 months. So that means being small, 
compact and DIY. Yeah, being able to, to think quickly and move quickly. Yeah, exactly. So you started in this business, though, at age 11, born in, in, in Bratislava, raised in Canada. At age 11, you got a job in a Bell Telephone commercial along with Megan Follows. And then you did all sorts of acting jobs, television shows, movies, all that kind of stuff, uh, before you stepped behind the camera. And you call that personal capital. Or, or that's an offshoot of that. Explain to me what personal capital is and then what it means for your career. Yeah. I mean, I've probably, as an actor, been on over 60 film sets. So that means I've worked with a lot of other actors. I've worked with a lot of other crews, amazing cinematographers. I've learned from producers. I've learned from the directors that have worked with me, both in terms of um, getting the best out of me and completely shutting me down and really intimidating me. So I've learned so much from all these people. And, you know, I've been really lucky that when I made the transition first to producing and then in the last 10 years to directing, all those people that I grew up with are still, many of them are part of the industry. So I can call on them and if they can't help me, then they might know someone who can. And that's what I mean by personal capital, that over the way more than 10,000 hours in approximately 30 <laughs> years, you build a really strong network of people. And I have to say in Toronto, both in production and in post-production, like Deluxe has helped me on all my films. So people do give back. And what pushed you towards an acting career at age 11? Dancing. Really? Yeah. yeah. First, I was a dancer, and I had a solo in some samba, big, <laughs> you know, uh, extravaganza, and an agent... Sparkling ap- costumes, exactly. everything? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally sparkling. <laughs> an agent approached me, I think, when I was nine or ten, and asked if I wanted to get into commercials. And, you know, my parents always struggled for cash a little bit, um, being immigrants, My father, who was an architect in Bratislava, ended up starting in construction. My mother, who was a school teacher, was cleaning houses and working in kitchens at daycare centers. So I was kind of the breadwinner mm-hmm. in, in the beginning. And it did start with commercials. I love doing commercials. And, and why? Because it's fast? It's Well, first, it was fast. It was pressure. I love the intensity, the right. concentration of having the, you know, having all these people standing around, one person touching my hair, another person, <laughs> all of these people that were so intent on every single detail happening a certain way. For me, it was fascinating. I mean, all these people care about this Dorito spot, <laughs> care about how I crunch the chip, whether it's the corner or the middle, care about every single look of, you know, look expression, the way my eyes roll, the way I smile, when I smile. So I sort of thought all this attention, I mean, when you're a kid and you have all that intention, my parents were working all the time. So it was a pretty amazing environment to be in. Both I liked the pressure and I liked performing and I liked this sense of family because I'm an only child and you walk onto these sets and there's all these people that are required to make something happen and you're a part of that. And that was a 
high for me. I'm speaking with Ingrid Veninger. Her film, Porcupine Lake, uh, is playing in Toronto right now at the Carlton Cinema. Uh, on Sunday night, there will be a Q&A with the cast, and Ingrid will be there. You can find out everything you need to know. Whatever we don't cover here today, you can talk about <laughs> there on Sunday. Um, we'll get there in just a little bit, a few minutes left in this segment. Um, tell me a little bit more about acting. Uh, you made, you said you were on 60 film sets. You worked with Vincent D'Onofrio. You worked with everybody kind of thing. Uh, tell me some of the highlights. Okay, some highlights. Highlight was Meryl Streep in yeah. a film called First Do No Harm. And I remember that at the read-through, I mispronounced some word. And her character was conveying that information to someone else. And because I mispronounced it, she mispronounced it, carrying it forward. Now, she absolutely <laughs> knew that I mispronounced it, but that's the way she heard it. And that was the source she heard it from. And I thought, how generous is that? She didn't make me feel like a fool. And I remember on uh the filming day, it was basically a long roaming single shot with a lot of dialogue. She comes to pick up her son. Then we leave the school. We walk, we walk, we walk. I walk her to her car. She puts her kid in the car. And it was all this dialogue. And the camera was going to feature her, of course, kind of go over my shoulder because she's the star. And she said, no, 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 no. This camera belongs on Ingrid. She's carrying the scene. Wow. And I just thought, Meryl Street. you are a goddess. Wow, I've I've interviewed Meryl Streep once, and of all the we were talking before the the the, the microphones were turned on. I've done twenty thousand of these kinds of interviews, and I would normally take a book with me because I was in Los Angeles, probably or New York. I don't even remember now. Uh, and you wait around a lot. You're waiting for you know people to get ready, and you're waiting for your turn to go and do the interview. So I always have a book with me, and I take it in, put it by the chair, and then do the interview. Meryl Streep is the only person that has ever said to me, "What book are you reading?" Oh, that sounds really interesting, and took the book and had a look through it, and you know we actually had a conversation like people, not like I was a, a piece of meat waiting to uh, to uh, get whatever information I could out of her. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that sense of curiosity mm -hmm. and wonder, and sort of a childlike in sense too. I mean, she's interested in everything all the time. Now, um, what do you prefer between acting, producing, directing, or are they all just like, is it a, a juggling uh, act that you just seem to thrive on all of them? Oh, I love directing. Yeah. Directing is the boss. I, I think I've always been a natural born director. I remember my junior kindergarten report card um, <laughs> saying that I was too bossy. Now, you know, when you're five years old and you're telling people what to do and you're putting on shows, you know, on the street and you're rallying everyone together to make halter tops to do the latest sort of <laughs> poolside um, spectacle. I think I've always been directing, and I think actually acting and then producing was my way to ultimately find my place as a director because that's that's the that's the job that challenges me the most, and that's when I think I'm happiest and I feel like I'm applying every ounce of me um, in the best possible way. And is that why you started producing so that you would have directing jobs? Well, it's funny. Everything I've done, I thought that was it. When I was a dancer, I thought that was going to be my life. And then when I was acting, I thought that was going to be my life. I loved the other actors that I worked with. Then when I was producing, I thought, no, no, I can do this. Help facilitate other people's things. And, you know, I loved working mm -hmm. with Charles Officer on Nurse Fighter Boy. And I was at the Canadian Film Centre. And Peter Mettler was a director I worked with for almost 20 years. So I love sort of being the midwife to other people's visions. And then... 
my transition to directing was an interesting one. And we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. I'm speaking with Ingrid Venninger. Uh, Porcupine Lake is the film. It's playing in Toronto at the Carlton Cinema, playing near you in a theater somewhere, whatever city you're in listening to this. Uh, check your local listings for more information. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, we have Ingrid Venninger. She is the writer and director of a film called Porcupine Lake. It is playing in Toronto this weekend and next weekend and weekends after that, but it's, it's happening right now at the Carlton Cinema. On Sunday night, you can go meet Ingrid and, and the cast of Porcupine Lake. They're doing a Q&A after the 7 o'clock show, and that'll be interesting. That will be interesting because this movie has some stories about it uh, that I think are fascinating, and we're going to get to them. We're giving people a chance to get to know you first, though. Yeah, because so, you know I'm going to ask you about your first kiss. Oh. Yep. I'll have to think about that. Oh, you know what? I have, okay, I okay. have a story. So you've acted, you've directed, you've produced. I love this quote from you where you say, acting keeps my fantasy world alive, producing keeps me in touch with reality. Yes, it, that's right. Is it just the, the dollars and cents thing? That's the cold, hard reality of it? Yeah, and you know, in the way that I make films, which is sort of a combination of having things planned and then being spontaneous, producing keeps me, you know, I a lot of people um, don't necessarily want to give me their house or their car or their children or <laughs> their clothes or their lampshades. or And it's a lot of convincing people to do things they don't want to do. And uh, that's, that's, I think, very, very challenging. And I mean, I would say that in all the different places I've shot in around the world, there's very few people that have said no to me. And why do you think that is? Just because you're persuasive? Maybe it's, <laughs> I'm really, really passionate. And I'm, and I think that's, I mean, I can't lie about that. Everything I make, I will throw myself into a thousand percent. And I think that becomes a little contagious. I mean, people want to be a part of um, something that is happening and moving and can be exhilarating. They want experiences. And I tend to gravitate towards people that want to do something different. And I can sense that. And they can, you know, appreciate that I'm trying to push the boundaries and making films, making art that isn't perhaps the mainstream. So if they want an experience that's going to kind of rock they, their world, they come aboard. Speaking with Ingrid Venninger, her film Porcupine Lake is in theaters right now. Interesting that you say that. You're making films that are just slightly outside the mainstream because I think Porcupine Lake's a pretty mainstream story that a lot of people, it's a universal story that I think a lot of people will um, gravitate towards, but it won't be playing on 3,000 screens across North America. The thing that I love about your movies though, and I, you know, I guess it's through social media that I hear about this or sometimes when I see you in person, you'd be like, oh yeah, 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 no, I was just in Prague and we were showing the film at a museum there and then we did, and what, you, you always <laughs> seem to find a way to work these movies in ways that other people don't always seem to have. Often directors will say, okay, well, I've, uh, the film is done and then and we hope for a, a run. We hope to get a couple of weeks at, uh, at a cinema in Toronto and maybe one in Ottawa and that, that might be it for it. You don't take that as an answer. No, I can't do that. <laughs> I sort of feel like because so many people have said yes – both in front of the camera, behind the camera, in the services, labs, equipment houses, I sort of feel like, okay, 
I can't control who comes to see this. I can't actually put the bums in seats, but I can make sure that everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my responsibility in in sort of in being accountable to all the people that have helped me because, you know, people aren't getting rich off making my films. I have always paid something, but it's it can be 100 bucks a day, sometimes it's 50 bucks a day, yep. sometimes it's 35 bucks a day. Generally, everyone gets the same, whether you're making the food or you're cinematographer or your editor, everyone kind of gets the same. I'm in this favored nations mentality, but I sort of feel it's my duty. So it's a year or six months of prepping the film, and then it's another six months of making the film, and then it's generally a year from when I finish the film and start the film festivals that I'm on the front lines doing the grassroots, again, DIY. I've got a thousand posters in my backpack, which I'm (laughs) going to be putting all over the city. I'm on social media, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, probably two hours a day. And I think about this stuff, and I know I can almost drive myself and everyone around me crazy, but I sort of feel like as long as people know about it, I'm doing my job. You formed Punk Films in 2003, and I love that the sort of the manifesto of it is nothing is impossible, which is exactly what you were saying. If you throw yourself at it, nothing's impossible. Yeah, nothing is impossible. If you absolutely start left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, something is going to happen. And there's a whole culture of people that talk about these projects they want to make, but you never see them come to fruition. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I would say one of my strongest skills is follow through. And if I say <laughs> I'm going to do something, I do it. And in fact, when I started making films, I would, if I promise we're going to be shooting in July or shooting in August, I have to stay true to that. And sometimes I will even post-date a check to my cast and crew and say, if we don't start on this day, you cash that check. If we do start, that's your first, you know, week of pay or whatever. But I will actually, you know, put myself in a position of being out of pocket if I don't go because, again, as a filmmaker – we got to be making films and no money can't stop us. I remember there was a time in 2014 where a lot of my friends weren't getting funding and I just put out that $1,000 feature film Mm -hmm. challenge and I went, right, we have the technology now to make films with very few resources. We have the ability. Money cannot stop us. So if you have to maybe scale your vision down, I mean, I think the way I worked DIY is... I don't let myself write something that I can't actually execute. So I'm limited in that a camera can go on someone's shoulder, it's handheld, or it's on a tripod. I've never been able to have a dolly shot, meaning the camera's moving in that very fluid way. I've never been able to have a steady cam. I've never been able to have a crane or a jib or even a drone. Like, that's just not my reality. Hopefully it will be one day. I hope to be doing some television where I get to have all those toys. But on my own films, I am very restricted. And so that starts as soon as I start writing. Yeah, and your films too, and we've just uh, got a couple of seconds left here, but your films um, tend to be intimate stories with just a handful of characters. I mean, you understand the elements that need to come together to make a movie for $10,000. Yeah, and I appreciate that you said the sixth one, Porcupine Lake, is commercial because I really think it is too. And we have not had many stories about young girls in love, so it was about time one got made. Porcupine Lake is playing in Toronto at the Carlton Cinema 
Sunday night. There's a Q&A after the show with Ingrid and some other guests. That's after the 7 o'clock show. Check your local listings across the country for Porcupine Lake. You can go see it wherever you live. Coming either this weekend or in the in the coming weeks. When we come back, we're going to talk all about Porcupine Lake. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. The film is Porcupine Lake. The director and writer is Ingrid Venninger. We're here. We're talking about how you started off as a dancer in sparkly costumes. You liked uh, the attention and the, the, the way that it made you feel. And here you are now with your sixth feature film, Porcupine Lake. Punk Films started in 2003. You started producing even before that. And I wanted to talk, and not sort of in particularly a negative way, but there are mistakes that have to be made along the way. And there's a story about you paid uh, 500 euros to have a, a film play at the Cannes International Film Market, and it didn't exactly, it sounds really glamorous, but it didn't exactly work out the way that you thought, right? No, it absolutely didn't. I mean, look, a lot of the big incentive for me to direct films is you get a pass to film festivals. Sometimes you get a flight, sometimes you get accommodation, but you get to travel. Yep. And my second love to directing films is traveling. So directing, that was the track. Now, Cannes and Berlin have these markets. And if you don't get into the festival, you can buy a screening. So And they're fi- wild. The markets, like the, the, the market room at Cannes, is a wild place where there's all these people that might have a movie poster uh, with a couple of stars on. They haven't made the movie yet, but they're looking for money or they've got a film that's almost finished and they're looking for completion funds. But it is a trip. Oh, it's a hustle. It's a grind. It's like Mm -hmm. Wall Street. It's like $5, $5. Who got $10? Who got $20? It's just like that. Films are being sold like hotcakes and it's posters and people have their trailers or teasers and it's just hustle, hustle, hustle. So, yes, you you get a marketing badge, which people buy, buy. Buyers, sellers, distributors, anyone that's on the, you know, on the track to buying films gets a market badge. They go to these market screenings and they're walking in and out. They're on their phone. They're talking to each other because they want to acquire. They want to buy the next big hot thing. They're looking for Lady Bird. Yeah. You know, they're looking for the thing that's going to go to the Academy Awards. And I put my first feature film only, which is a. Uh, you know, one day in the life of these two kids that wander through forests and share things with each other they've never shared with anyone before. And at the end of the film, they share their first kiss. And my son starred in the film when he was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And I think, I'm going to get in the game with this. You know, Norm Wilner um, said we were the best argument for self-distribution. We got some nice press. We started at Toronto International Film Festival. We played over 40 film festivals. 500 euro to screen at the market. I walk into the theater. I am by myself. <laughs> That's got to be soul destroying. Theater seats about 100, 100 yeah. you know, people. And I'm by myself. Now, I've seen the film, oh, about a thousand times. I do not need to be spending 500 euro to be watching this film. So the film starts and I think, should I just leave? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, this, play, this film is not going to screen for nobody. So I'm yeah. going to sit in that theater. And finally, about 10 minutes into the screening, somebody walked in, sat down, two rows in front of me, took off their shoes, cover their face, slumped in their seat, and completely went unconscious, wow. fell asleep. Wow. And I just thought, because when the person walked in, I thought, one person can take, can make a difference. Yep. You don't know who this person is. I've, I've, they you might know, have I've, a checkbook with them. Exactly. And, and, yeah. Or they might know somebody that might lead to something. But no, this person slept through the entire film, and I just thought, do I cough? Do I kick the back of the chair? Because the the, the first, you know, the the final scene, that kiss, is really something. It melts people's hearts. No, not until the house lights came up did that person sort of put their boots back on and walk out in front of me. I thought, well, that 
has got to be the most humiliating. Not just that there was one sleeping person, but that I paid 500 euro. Mm. And I thought, that, you know, now is sometimes when you go at film festivals, you know, I've screened in front of thousands of people and sold out and amazing Q&A. But sometimes you show, it at a film, show up at a film festival and there's 10 or 20 people. And I yeah, thought, yeah. that's better than that one sleeping person. <laughs> so I can survive anything. It made me tougher for sure. Yeah, the Cannes Festival People think it's so glamorous, and and you walk down the the crossette, the main drag, and there's, you know, beautifully dressed people, and the beaches are right there, and the whole thing. But it is uh, kind of this weird place where high art and absolute low culture come banging head to head. I remember being in the market once, looking for a story. I was doing uh, a daily television show from the Cannes Film Festival, and I had to submit 10 shows, 10 half hour shows. And I was short a segment or two or something. And I was desperate. So I went down to the market and there was a poster for a movie called like Citizen John or Citizen Dave or something. And it, they were looking for money. They hadn't made the movie yet. And uh, it was going to star Armand DeSante and Jerry Springer. And I was like, well, are Armand or Jerry here? And they're like, Jerry's here. I'm like, bring him on over. I'm happy to speak with Jerry Springer about a movie <laughs> that may or may not ever get made. But uh, that's what happens at the market. Oh, yeah. Anything's possible at the market. <laughs> so for people who don't know what a producer does, because it's one of those jobs that means a lot of different things, what does a producer do? Well, for me, a producer means sometimes you're out there finding the material. You option a book, you option an article, you come up with the idea, you find the source material that you take to a writer or to a director and you start to package a team. You are in charge of hiring everybody, casting director, every member of the crew. You're in charge of putting together the deals, of administering the paperwork. Sometimes you have a lawyer, but in many of my films, I'm doing all the paperwork for the financing, all the contracts for locations, all the insurance. Basically, you're the person, you're the engine of the whole thing. You're sort of the mechanical element that brings everything together and realizes the vision that you either sourced or that came to you from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So maybe the director pitched you an idea or a writer pitched you an idea. The ideas can come from everywhere, but the producer finds the money, makes it happen, and then I think, very importantly, brings it to the market. So whether that's 10,000 emails to get into film festivals and starting to cultivate those relationships and then getting distributors to come aboard and exhibitors and, you know, doing the social media or hiring people to do it. It's your job to make sure as many eyeballs see that film as possible. As recently as last year, you said women are often seen as a risk while men are an investment. It feels to me like things are changing out there in the world a little bit. It's slow. There's a long way to go. But do you get a sense of that? Yeah, it is so weird to be just last week. I was approached by two people asking me to read a script and they were wanting me to consider directing it because I was a woman, because now there's this incentive right. to fund projects by winning. And it's this weird thing because, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it now that there feels to be more opportunities for me to both be hired to direct features, which I'm interested in. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in being part of someone else's vision. I think especially after I've kind of gotten Porcupine Lake out of my system, right. you know, but it's a weird thing to be approached now 
because I'm a woman, because up until now, it has always been a liability. I'm speaking with Ingrid Veninger. Her film, Porcupine Lake, is playing at the Carlton Cinema in Toronto right now, Sunday night. There's a Q&A with the filmmaker, Ingrid, and guests after the 7 o'clock show. Check your local listings in whatever city you happen to be in for more uh, details. So in the final minute here, let's talk about Porcupine Lake. We've got another segment coming up. We'll get into all the nitty-gritties. But this is uh, the first of your films to come out of the Punk Films Fem Lab. And I'm wondering how the lab affected Porcupine Lake in terms of, of creating the story and, and that, and explain what the Fem Lab is. Yeah, well, you know, it was after my fifth feature, I was at a lot of film festivals and I was seeing amazing first features by women. And I was wondering, when are they coming back with their second and third features? They just tend to fall off mm -hmm. the face of the earth. And I understand why. You know, sometimes it's families, it's relationships, it's um, funding. The, the visions get bigger, and so then it's a longer turnaround. You don't get to make a film every year because it takes five years to raise $10 million or yeah, $20 yeah. million, whatever it is. Um, Deborah Granick, who made Winter's Bone, is just was just back at Sundance with her second feature film and that's, this year. That's got to be eight or nine years, I think. Right. It? And that's not unusual. So the Punk Films Fem Lab came out of this desire to see more Canadian women, writer, directors, make feature films, narrative fictions, because I think we do better in documentary, more consistently so that, you know, we can have these big bodies of work where we're making seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 films. I mean, if Herzog can do it, right. we can do it. So I sort of put a call out on Facebook and said, I want to start this lab. You have to have at least one feature film under your belt. And we will pick up the story then on the other side of the break. I'm speaking with Ingrid Veninger. The film is Porcupine Lake at the Carlton Cinema in Toronto. Check your local listings wherever you are in the rest of the country. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, Ingrid Veninger is here. Her film, Porcupine Lake, is probably playing at a theater near you right now. If you're in Toronto, it certainly is. It's at the Carlton Cinema uh, this weekend. Next weekend and on into infinity. I don't know about that, but maybe. Who knows? It fingers could have crossed. fingers crossed. Uh, on Sunday night, there will be Q and A's with the with Ingrid and some other guests, uh, actors, and that sort of thing from the movie after the seven p.m. show. So you want to go see that uh, because we're just going to whet your appetite here. I think we were talking about the Punk Films Fem Lab when uh, we had to break. So uh, you looked at this as a way of encouraging female filmmakers uh, to make second, third, and fourth films and not have to wait eight years between making films. And I know when I sat on the Bravo Fact Board, we found exactly that, that women were not making second and third films for us. We would give them money, they'd turn in something good, and then we would never hear from them again. Uh, so we changed up the way that we uh, gave out money. And we encouraged second and third uh, films uh, from female directors, and it worked. We got uh, lots of great work that way. That's what the Fem Lab's doing. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, there are a lot of initiatives for new, emerging, mm -hmm. young, first-time discovery both in, I think, funding, but also in festivals. There's a lot of festivals for under 30 yep. for your first feature. But then when you're, you want to keep going, because you don't just want to make one or two, you want to, especially because you've now got some new tools in your belt, you've got experience, you want to apply all the lessons learned. So I sort of feel like I just, I'm just hitting my stride now. Like now I really feel confident after my sixth feature to take 
all kinds of risks and be bolder in my filmmaking because I feel like I've developed my my way of doing it. But it's taken 10 years and taken six features. It's been a very public kind of learning <laughs> in making these films and getting them in the festival and getting their response. But yeah, I sort of feel like how to keep going, how to encourage and support the long-term sort of marathon run of making films. So that's what the lab was about. You had to have at least one feature film. You didn't have to have an idea for your next one. Really, I was interested in women who were writers, directors that wanted to keep going. And six of us gathered from January to June in 2014. We brought our ideas to the circle, and that's where Porcupine Lake was born, you know, because we all sat around going, where are the stories about girls at that age of 12, 13, where we're starting to have those first feelings of desire? Um, we're seeing them with boys. We're seeing them with adolescents. Where are those younger stories? The film is called Porcupine Lake. My guest is Ingrid Venninger, the writer and director. Porcupine Lake is, is kind of semi-autobiographical in, in some ways anyway. Definitely personal. I mean, my first kiss was with Lisa when I was eight <laughs> years old. And no boys were interested in me. I mean, when I was six, seven, eight, I was bullied. And, you know, I had a couple of girlfriends, but I wasn't invited to those spin the bottle parties. Right. I wasn't invited to those sleepovers. I just, I was not invited to anywhere there were boys. I remember there being a class dance and I approached a guy Jason K, if you're out if there. If you're listening, Jason K. Um, I approached him to dance with me, and he literally shot out of the class and ran down the hall of Jesse Ketchum Public School. So there, there How was horrible. that. You know, there was that. But I had my first kiss with a girl, and I don't think that's uncommon because you're friends, you trust each other, it's comfortable, you're trying to get practice, and there begins this sense of, who am I? What do I like? What feels good? And this territory that I explore in Porcupine Lake was tricky, tricky territory because I wasn't dealing with 16, 17-year-olds, mm -hmm. because I was dealing with 13-year-olds, and these actors were 13, you know, when they did this film. They had their very, very first kiss in the movie, mm -hmm. and that's a big deal. I don't think I was ready to tell this story with my first or second feature. Right. It took a lot of practice to take on the responsibility, not only of making sure I made a strong film that I think speaks to anyone who's ever been 13 in their life, but also that these girls were going to have a really healthy, positive experience, and they were going to come out the other side of it feeling empowered. Well, there's a real innocence to the film as well, I think, which is uh, something that is kind of wonderful. I mean, it's set in cottage country. Yep. It is uh, in a very small place. There's not that much to do um, up there. But this is, again, based on your very personal experience, right? Yeah. When my parents first came from former Czechoslovakia, now Slovakia, my father, one of the only jobs he could get was managing a truck stop, you know, roadside down diner near Port Severn, 10 minutes from where we shot Porcupine Lake. <laughs> that place burned down, but the H&S gas bar is still there. And I just relived that time making this film, walked in the shoes of my 13-year-old self because it was hard. I mean, I was lonely. I didn't really have a best friend. I was kind of much more the B character where, yes, I was innocent, but I was curious and I was 
I had a huge appetite to have experiences. And then I met a girl, or sort of Kate is a combination of lots of girls, that knew a lot more than me. And I was schooled. I was schooled about <laughs> periods. I was schooled about boys, about French kissing, about basically, you know, just taking risks and getting out there and doing it. And, you know, I'm framing the story of these young girls and their secret world mm -hmm. against the older brothers and sisters who are kind of in trouble and against the parents that are struggling in their own way. The film is called Porcupine Lake. It is playing at the Carlton Cinema in Toronto starting this weekend, Sunday night. You can go meet Ingrid and some of the actors from the film after the 7 o'clock show. There'll be a Q&A. Uh, check your local listings in the rest of the country for uh, a place that it's playing near you. Tell me about casting uh, the two young uh, women who play the, uh, the girls in the film. They are remarkable. And in other films, I assumed, like your other films, that they're like uh, your kids or their cousins or something, you know, because you have often uh, used uh, members of your own family in your films. This is not the case here. No, it's not the case. It took about 18 months, and I started casting after I wrote the first draft, and I worked with a casting director, Michael Yerkes, and we put a big call out. We cast the net very, very, very wide. I saw about 100 girls. And what was interesting is... Parents were scared of this material. I mean, again, I'm looking at 12, 13-year-old mm -hmm. girls. There's queer content. There aren't that many. I would say, you know, is it a lesbian love story? Yeah. I think these are two young girls that are first friends, and they're affecting the course of each other's lives, and they have fallen in love. So parents were a little bit uneasy about putting their daughters mm -hmm. forward. So that took a bit of you know, trust building. And then eventually I would see these girls and I would have to say many of them skewed older. And I knew I couldn't have 16 or 17 year olds play these parts. I needed the real deal. So when I saw Charlotte Salisbury, she came in from Windsor, Ontario, and she read these words off the page exactly the way I heard them in my mind. And she had this incredible behavior and she was amazing at listening. And I just thought, She's had no experience. She's never acted in film, but she's got so much raw talent. So when I wrote the next scripts, I kept thinking about her. The role of Kate was much harder. She's the more dominant. She's a little bit the bossy one. She's the one more experienced. She has to hold a lot of emotional layers for a young actress, she had to be both vulnerable and strong, and I eventually found her in Melbourne, Australia. I know. It, well, so I met her and uh, didn't know that she was from Australia, and and uh, I meet uh, Charlotte first, and she says hello, and then I meet uh, Lucinda, and she's like, good day, mate, or whatever it was, <laughs> and I was so surprised because there's not a hint of that in the film. No, she's the daughter of my <laughs> childhood best friend when I was 12 years old, Sally Armstrong, at Jesse Ketchum again, and when I went to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, to show He Hated Pigeons. It's my fifth feature. She sneaks in her 13-year-old daughter, who was 12 at the time, which I love. And then we spent the day talking about acting. And I thought, will you audition for this film? She read the script. I auditioned her using my iPhone. I read opposite her. And I thought, okay. I called my daughter. I said, I think I'm bringing my Kate from Melbourne, Australia. Can you do a Canadian accent, by the way? She was completely method. No one on the crew, no other member of the cast knew she was from Australia. She stayed in the zone of Kate for the entire film. What do you want people to think about when they leave the theater after seeing Porcupine Lake? Well, you know, it's kind of 
Oh, and she's nominated for Canadian Screen Award, oh. which I have to say, Lucinda Armstrong Hall, Canadian citizen living in Melbourne, Australia, nominated for Canadian Screen Award. So she will be on that live uh, broadcast March 11th. Hopefully she'll win. Um, what do I want people to take away? I want them to take away that sort of hot and hazy summertime nostalgic feeling um, in the middle of, you know, end of February <laughs> into March. You'll get a summertime trip of a time that's basically, I think, become extinct, where we used to wander around without cell phones, with no internet, and just get lost and be bored and sink into our imaginations and have these secret worlds and experience things that we kind of took for granted because we didn't appreciate them the first time around. You know, you're 12, things are happening. You have no frame of reference for these experiences, but they are exquisite. And I think anyone, I've, I've screened this film all over Europe, in South Korea, in South America, across Canada at film festivals, and it's resonated. So again, I think... I have to ask you who your first kiss was, but if you ever felt those sensations of that first kiss and that first love, you will uh, go right back to that place when you see Porcupine Lake. My first kiss was my neighbor at our summer house, uh, our summer place was by a beach and her name was Anne and she was uh, my, we were, you know, contemporaries and I was so freaked out. She kissed me. I was not, and I was young, I mean, 12, maybe 11, 12, something like that. And I was freaked right out by the idea of it. I thought, now what, am I an adult now? Have I suddenly grown up? Is right. this it? Right. Do we have to get married? Right. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's huge, isn't it? It's all consuming. And that time is, and it's very, very fleeting. And I feel like we go from being kids to becoming teenagers in a snap. And Porcupine Lake is trying to just hold on to that little crack between childhood and adolescence. You can see Porcupine Lake playing at the Carlton Cinema in Toronto Sunday night. Meet Ingrid and some of the cast members after the 7 o'clock show. In the rest of the country, check your local listings. Ingrid, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks to Andre on the board. Most of all, thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week.